man buns, space dogs, and an accent that changes like the wind. We watched The Great Wall, and this is what we had to say. In ancient China, a group of European mercenaries encounters a secret army that maintains and defends the Great Wall of China against a horde of monstrous creatures. Bet you didn't see that coming. Bet you didn't see that coming. So, joining me this week are Paul Stewart, Andrew Grayson, Greg Shackleton, and our guest this week, the final guest of 2020. We've made it, guys. We've made it. Here we go. So, he's a director, screenwriter. Here to talk about his short film, Trifle, starring Amy Manson. We have Mike Callahan. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, great to have you here. So, we'll get to talk all about yourself and your projects later on in the episode, but first, you've got to help us break down the Great Wall. Pun very much intended, guys. Pun very much intended. So, here we go. Now, this was my pick for the film club. We finally reached my pick. So, I imagine the panel's asking themselves, Craig, why? Why, why this film, Craig? Well, this was my little prank on the, on the 100 team here. So when you start off with this film, you buy, buy the title and the first five, ten minutes, you think you know what you're in for. You think, well, OK, maybe it's a, like two warring factions in ancient China fighting over control of the Great Wall or something. And then 20 minutes in, giant green space dog. Here we go. So, so that shot... Of, you know, in, in 20 minutes in when the horde of Taute is, is what they're called for the purposes of the audience here. The Taute are attacking the wall and you get that single shot of that one Taute <laughs> up on the rock. And it's like someone has chucked a bucket of ice water over your head. Because of the way, because of the, way the edit is, it's just like, there it is. Here we go. This is what the film is about now. You were wrong. You were so wrong. So I just wanted you guys to experience that. So I think what I did was I, I, I pitched this to you guys as like a period piece, didn't I? <laughs> didn't I? So yeah, yeah. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you went in for a, a good surprise. So when I ask for your first thoughts today, can I also ask for your reaction when you discovered finally what kind of film you were in for? Let's start with Paul, shall we? Paul, take us away. Oh boy, well, you know me, I've, I've kind of enjoyed most films we've reviewed so far, but uh, this this might be my first uh, <laughs> thumbs down. I was like, whoa, <laughs> what, what on earth? Like, we were about 25 minutes into this film before I, 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 I still didn't know anything about the main character. I was just like, he's looking for something, but oh man, no, I I um, thought this film moved at about a million miles an hour, and I barely, I understood about one percent of it at a time of each scene at any given time, and then then when those dogs, we'll call them, came in, we we Space were just. Space dogs, yeah, that's an apt <laughs> name for it. When the green space dogs arrived, I, I, I was, I, this this kind of makes sense. I was almost ready for a, a kind of Troy-like film. You know, it's based in mythology. It's it's got some redeeming qualities to it. I'm a man that enjoys mythology, but oh boy, I was not so into this one. 
Greg, how about you? Um, well, I knew something was up. Uh, <laughs> uh, like the second they did that very well put together smash cut of them being attacked uh, two minutes in without wanting to reveal the monster. And it's just like, edit, cut, swing, close up of Matt Damon's face, close up of Pedro Pascal, a, a, a vague noise, and then a hand. Uh, that was just sort of left there. But um, I think the, thir the first third I was surprisingly into just in terms of like the scale and the mechanics and uh, just the balls of the whole thing. Uh, and, then, and then they just kept talking and it just kept winding down towards the end. But as a whole, uh, <laughs> it felt it was a fairly standard uh, thing. But I'm, I'm kinda, I kind of became more and more fascinated with it, like the why of the film and the story behind it and a bunch of other vaguely propagandary cultural things that I'll get into later. <laughs> Andrew, how about you? Uh, very much special. I hadn't seen this film. Um, I was set up for like an old-time maybe samurai kind of movie. As soon as I seen the Green Space Dogs, I went, all right, it's going to be this kind of shite. And I just turned my brain off and I was like, hey, cool, I'm just going to enjoy this. And I didn't mind it. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought it wasn't that bad. It was, I'm not going to rush out to see it again. This is the kind of film where I've got a Cineworld card. So it's like one of these films where I would just go see it because it's on. And I thought, well, that was two hours. That was fine. But um, I, have lots, I have loads of things wrong with it. But for the most part, I, I didn't mind this film. I'm, I, I had much more of a pleasant time with this film than I did A View to a Kill. <laughs> that, that film. Really? Oh, mate, honestly. Like, that, that really? For me, a view to a kill dragged. There was a point I paused this, I think it was to go to the bathroom, and I was like an hour in. I went, Oh, that was a quick hour. I thought I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, I suppose one of my positive notes about the film was it was only an hour and 40, and that's yeah. like, and that's with credit, so probably only like an hour and 35, hour and 30. So I think actually, length wise, it wasn't too bad. It actually, actually quite refreshing to see a film this length of that kind of because obviously, like, you're used to like, these kind of like Marvel films. That are kind of like two, two hours, two and a half hours long. For so to have a film of this spectacle be that length, it was actually all right. So I think, I think, yeah, as you were saying, it's fast paced, but it's over quickly. <laughs> if you see what I mean. So if you're not liking it, it's over quickly. Uh, Mike, what did you think about the film? I mean, I'd love to say it was a stone cold masterpiece, but it was an absolute mess. Um, <laughs> uh, not, not without some merit in places, not entirely unenjoyable. Um, I quite enjoyed the setup. I love fantasy. This should be my kind of thing, but absolute mess. And uh, the further I went on, the more tedious it became, unfortunately. Um, had some cool bits in it, had some great looking shots, but uh, it was mainly just, I found it really frustrating. Just as, like, mm. you've got all this stuff here, just write a script and you might actually have a film that's worth watching. You've got all these talented guys who've come to help you write a script and clearly you've not let them do anything. So, um, hey, it was a bit of a shame. Frustrating overall, enjoyed parts of it. Um, forgot about it as soon as I finished it, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there is, it's, you're talking about the writing, there's six different hands in this, in terms of the writing. So you had three people on the, the story. One of the people on the story was the guy who wrote World War Z, which you can kind of see. And the other three were on the screenplay itself. So there's a lot of people, like, as they too many cooks fall in the broth type thing, possibly. So I think, yeah, you're right. I think it's one of those films that maybe would have benefited from a bit more of a coherent, maybe one person's vision, possibly, 
and just maybe tweaking things to make it into a bit more of a coherent story. So, speaking of which, let's jump straight into the film's opening and the film's premise itself. So, the I mean, I have many favourite points about this film. I mean, I want to point out, I didn't like the film. I didn't pick this because I liked the film. I picked it purely for this reaction. So, I'm going to need more convincing than that, Craig. I know, I think, I think, I think he's lying. I think he's lying. <laughs> this is his favourite film and he's just going, oh, no, guys, oh, no. In fact, I've got to love it. <laughs> I feel like collateral damage. Yeah. yeah. I know, exactly. I feel sorry for you, Mike, for getting on this one. So, yeah, no, one of my favourite points about this is the is the opening, is the opening, like, credits with with the... With the, with the title, so when it says, you know, the, the, the stories and legends, this is one of those legends. I burst out <laughs> laughing at that part because I was like, really? This is a legend? Is it in Chinese mythology? I, I know the Taotai are actually in Chinese mythology, but you're telling me that there's a legend of a meteorite of space dogs coming down and hitting a, a, a mountain it's, in China. It's Arabian Nights. They're paying homage to one of the great classic uh, storytelling devices, and I completely bought it. So, I mean, we were talking, Mike, Mike, you were talking about the script and stuff. So, I'll come to you first if that's all right. So, the, yeah. the, in terms of the film's premise, do you think the premise itself of the film had potential? Yeah. If, if, if the script had been changed a little bit. So what, what do you think? What, what do you think about the film's premise itself? I mean, the premise is great. So the Great Wall exists to keep out these uh, this, this alien thing that, that landed um, however many thousands of years ago, but a chameleon comes up only every 60 years. Um, but aliens versus the Great Wall in medieval China or, what, or, the, or ancient China is sounds pretty cool. I mean, it's not the greatest premise in the world, but there's definitely fun to be had from it. Um, fun this film managed to avoid. But... Uh, I have no problem with the premise. Could be fun. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you think script-wise that could have been like better to make the premise work? Is there anything in particular you would have, you, you would have changed at all? Oh, I would have put some characters in it. I would have given it some logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I would have made some some dialogue that was worth hearing, not completely tinnied. Mm-hmm. Uh, make it uh, tonally consistent. Um, yeah. These are just a few of the things. <laughs> Small changes. There are a few of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree about the, about the characters because, you know, none of them were fleshed out. None, none of them you gravitate to or empathise with or invest in. Like, you know, if, this, if, this, if this had been, like, I, I mean, essentially it was the Battle of Winterfell Game of Thrones, by the way. We had we had the White Walkers and the Whites, essentially, attacking mm. the... Like, so it was essentially that. But the like, if, if you told me that at the end they all died and the horde won, I wouldn't have cared. You know, and, that, and that, that's that's a problem with the writing. The characters you, you don't really invest in enough. What about everyone else? Did anyone else have any thoughts on the, the premise of the film? Do you think that you'd have liked to have just seen a better script, but the actual idea was solid? Yeah, yeah, I thought it had teeth. Like the premise, it's like, um, like I said before, it's like maybe a try or gladiator, you know, something like this based in a mythology. You know, there's been there's been great films done and based around mythology. I love mythological stories. Uh, China is full of Chinese, you know, mythology and folklore that you could have 
incorporated into this. And, you know, there isn't necessarily anything wrong. We'll get on to the, the Tao Tang uh, later, but, uh, you know, there isn't necessarily anything wrong with it. But it just, I think one of the words to describe this film is hollow. It's just everything is so hollow. Um, and it just makes everything in the film feel so empty. Uh, of course, that word meaning hollow. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, my actual when I wrote down at the end of the film, I was like, how would I describe this film? Like, if I was to pitch it, and the premise for the actual film is, it turns out, it's funny enough. I picked up World War Z vibes as well. You know, just masses and masses of bad CGI being thrown at actors. Mixed with Jurassic Park, mm. mixed with Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah. Power Rangers as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> with a little bit of China thrown in. So uh, <laughs> that that was kind of my take on this whole film. But so there was potential, but I really don't think they got off the ground with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The so at the start of the film, we are introduced to Matt Damon and Pedro Pascal's character. Also, now it took me until literally five minutes before the episode to work this out. Apparently, according to, according to IMDb, uh, the guy who played Greyjoy, um, Balan Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, is that his name? The the, the bad one, the, the, the sea captain guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he was in this. Was he the guy at the start that got killed? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I, I was looking at the IMD and I was like, where, where was he in the film? And I thought there was only two European ever yeah, there must have been there. So anyway, we're introduced to these guys, these European mercenaries. Matt Damon's character walks in. <laughs> so Matt, now, as I said, I've got favourite moments. My favourite thing about this film, Matt Damon's acting. Hands down, it is absolutely bonkers. And I absolutely loved it. So... I, I want to talk about that for a second, really. I mean, it's just absolutely you can because the thing is, like, we obviously from you know we're we're all you know in, in the film industry, so we we know that bit of movie secrets, guys. For anyone in the audience doesn't know, films are shot out of order. So I think you can see, you can trace when Matt Damon lost faith in the accent and, the, and or, or just or just gave up entirely <laughs> and throughout the film because there are moments because obviously. <laughs> There's, there's, I mean, it changes like minute to minute. It, it literally changes minute to minute. And, there, and then I think there's one scene, I, can't, I don't know which scene it is for sure, but I think it's the scene where he's with Commander Lin and when they're eating. And I swear his accent changes at least five times. I, I noted down five different accents in that one scene. So I had bad Irish. I think he's supposed to be from Ireland. I think I that's, that was my yeah. name. Is he Irish? Is it Irish? Yeah. yeah. That's where I landed. Yeah. Um, so bad Irish, bad Scottish, bad Sean Connery impression. Two different things. And then I also had, you know, you know the accent that you imagine people would have had like first settlers in America. You know, you know, you know when you know like when like the in between stage between American and uh, English or like Yorkshire and, and American. Yeah. And then I just had straight up a guy from Boston, just straight up a guy from Boston as well. Uh, so that was in, that was in one scene, one scene. So yeah. I absolutely loved that part of the character. That was absolutely hilarious. But what, Greg? I'll come to you now. What did you think of Matt Damon's character William in the film? Uh, well, first of all, can anyone actually do the accent? Well-renowned, talented people that you all are. 
uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt Damon. Um, I mean, I'm going to go off on a whole tangent on this, but he's not the main character for starters. Um, but yeah, that that accent uh, disappeared within sort of like the first ten minutes, and then after the fact, I didn't really uh, pay much attention because throughout most of the film, he's just there to stand next to. Uh, the Commander Lin, I believe her name is, uh, and literally just act as a translator uh, for the rest of the audience while she talks to the old Chinese cats. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna. It, it's it's gonna be a weird one because his his whole arc is hilarious. Uh, I'm trying to just <laughs> get it all down in one position here. So we begin the film, and Mr. Damon. Once black powder, underscore, underscore, multiple times. He's a filthy, grubby European. He doesn't trust anyone. Um, he's only friends, Pedro, and they're both filthy together. Um, there's no sense of trust and loyalty except to Pedro, and I can respect that because Pedro's got it going on. And then throughout the film, he just he, he, he just sees the greatest military army in the history of the world, and it inspires him to give up on all that trashy European selfishness and greed. Thank you, space dogs, that literally eat everything. Symbolism. And he has to learn the values of teamwork and unity at the behest of the Chinese military. Um, and finally find a fight that's worth fighting. And at the end, they say, you can have the powder or you can have your friend. And it's like, you know what? After seeing millions of you lot die, I'm going to take my friend and go home with nothing. So he's not really, he doesn't really do much uh, as, as a protagonist. If, any, if anything, the uh, Commander Lin uh, lady, she's the main character because she has um, the most, uh, most time spent into, um, uh, not sort of her origin, but sort of um, setting her up as, the, as, this, as this character B. And then she slowly moves into character A when she's, uh, taking charge of a full uh, when she becomes gets promoted to it, be the general. Sorry, and yeah, she's just and the Matt Damon's all the Matt Damon's there to do is to just look at her and go, "Wow, you're awesome!" But I respect you so hard. I'm not going to treat you like a love interest, and I can respect that. So yeah, I think the whole film's really about her, and Matt Damon's just a white face that got slapped onto this because that's how you get uh, blockbusters to sell in the West. Well, we'll come to that. We'll come yeah. to that. We'll come to that later. Whether it did sell in the, in the West for sure. Andrew, <laughs> what were your thoughts on Matt Damon? I mean, I think Greg summed it up. He, he didn't really have much going on. Like to me, I got more distracted at Pedro Pascal. I thought, oh, Pedro Pascal, a sandy area, Mandalorian. <laughs> hey, yeah. I mean, and then for the most part of the time, I'm sitting. I, I got because I'm I'm a stickler for accents. So it's not even that I thought, oh, it was really bad, or it was really good, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going, where are you from? Like, yeah. and I, I, I did settle on Irish. Um, but I think Greg kind of summed it up, man. He's not, it's, I think he's just, he's a, he's a face to sell the movie. I don't mm-hmm. think it was anything more than that. And I'm not saying that he had a bad performance, a good performance. I'm just going, it was, for me, this, this movie is very middle ground for me. I don't love this movie, but I don't hate it. I could take it or leave it. But, Matt Damon, I'm going, yeah, it was Matt Damon done done what he had to do in this film. Like you would Craig, when you talked earlier about like a spectacle movie, a endgame, this is very much a spectacle, but the character you don't care about the characters. That was my argument with V when she said she didn't like Endgame. I'm going, 
the whole point of Endgame is we've followed these guys for 10 years, so we have emotional connections to them, whereas Matt Damon, you're going, yeah, he's good with a bow and arrow. Good job. Straight up, straight up leg lassing the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. The the thing for me about Matt Damon, I mean, actually, you were mentioning Pedro Pascal as well. I, I actually didn't mind Pedro Pascal, but Pedro Pascal's a good actor. Like, we, know, we know he's solid. Like So, he, he, he I mean, even if he's pouring in a performance, he's still pretty good. My but, big thing for this was I want to see more Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Like, I want to see him do more things. I just love him. You ever watch The Mandalorian then? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get one of the whole episode about the Mandalorian if we get if we carry on with that. <laughs> we'll rather talk about that. No, the thing about Matt Damon, though, the thing I didn't like, again, and this, again, we're back to the writing again, the script. With, with Matt Damon's character, you, you're told that he's a bad guy. You're not shown that he's a bad guy. Like, you, you are told, like, when, when Pedro Pascal is saying, like, this isn't you, man, this isn't you, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, we haven't seen that. Like, we've not seen Matt Damon being nasty or being selfish like immediately when he arrives it's like i'm going to take up this cause there's no time for him to actually have a proper as you were saying an actual arc in the film it's very much you're thrown in and nothing much happens with matt damon's character at all it would have been good to have seen that kind of transition a bit a bit more slowly how they would have done that in the maybe maybe that would require more tweaks in the script side things to you know to match with the plot and stuff but i just felt like as, as you know, the classic showing but not telling sort of thing, you know, you, you, you want to see that transition and that development in the character. Again, that makes you care about a character if you see that transition, if you see that arc. So we we get to the we get to the Great Wall with Matt, Matt Damon and Pedro Pascal brought to the Great Wall. Oh, yeah, Mike, yeah. Sorry, can I chip in on Matt Damon? It's too, it's too oh, good. Yeah, go for it. yeah, go for it. Like, he's not an idiot. Like, he's yeah. an Oscar winning screenwriter. So it's fascinating to me how he ends up in this film. Maybe it's just a paycheck, but. I kind of thought maybe the accent just to try and keep himself amused because he's got nothing else to do in the film. So he's just like, maybe let's see how bad I can make my accent or how anonymous I can make the accent so people forget I'm in this film. Because he's one of the most charismatic actors out there. He's a charisma machine. All you have to do is watch Goodwill Hunting or The Martian. But yeah. there's, not, there's not an ounce of charisma in that performance he gives, which is, which is just odd. It's just like, I, I think it's just bad direction and bad writing. And I don't know what he's doing, but... He got paid well, I imagine. So oh, he's, he's playing the role of a grubby European yeah. savage foreigner. It's like there's there's no need, there's no nuance to those people. They're all just filthy <laughs> and great with bows and just want stuff. They're greedy. I mean, I think we talk about black powder. I think the whole enterprise would be better with a bit more white powder. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if you're going to. I don't know if you're going to touch on this later, but it was just Mike saying he didn't know how he ended up in this movie. Do you know what? Are you going to talk about the film that he turned down for this movie? No, so he got turned. He he got offered the role Casey Affleck played in Manchester by the Sea and got Oscar nominated for to do this film. I so, think he, I think he stepped aside. He said that Casey Affleck would do a better job. Oh, oh, right. I, I thought he turned it down for this. I'm too old for this, but Casey Affleck will do a better job. That's that's what I read anyway. So whether that's true, right. yeah. yeah, not oh, a bad yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So we get to the Great Wall again. I'm going to bring up the script again. Again, but see see the bit with the keys, right? The keys. That is that that is this, that is like that is pure writing for convenience. That that was that was insane. Like. <laughs> Yeah, the, you can't find the right keys, though. <laughs> they were not convenient. They were like this long. 
Oh no, this key doesn't work. We're gonna oh. have to go around. <laughs> oh, it was just mental. So then, of course, yeah, they have to be brought to the top of the wall, and then therefore they get to save the day, and, and so on and so. On. And it, it, there's a lot of that in this one. There's a lot of we've got to do this so this can happen, as opposed <laughs> to writing it in a, in a fluid way. So we get up to the top of the wall. We've got, you know, we're waiting for this whatever's coming. At this point in time, you know, if you've not not knowing anything about the film, you're still kind of thinking, "Well, what's going to happen here?" And then, of course, the the. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That that brilliant edited sequence early on set up was some kind of veiled threat out there with a claw that just landed from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly one of the we worst of edited scenes I've ever seen of all time. And it's the only thing that looks moderately real. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's okay because Matt Damon has a magnetic rock. <laughs> I forgot. That's that's his only function in this film is to provide them with the magic rock that then somebody else can figure out what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're introduced to the Taute and they're charging at the wall. And we get our big we get our first battle. To be honest with you, actually, as you know, if, for this kind of like, it's a popcorn film. This film. So to be honest with you, I wrote down. 18 minutes in, and this is what's happening now. I'm into it, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a, a siege is happening straight away. We're only 18 minutes into the film, and we've got a bit of action happening. So, yeah, fair enough. Actually, I'm not too bad. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. So, Paul, let's talk about the Taute. What were your thoughts on, on, on the Taute in the film? <laughs> Our villains of, of, of the piece. The Taute are <laughs> a Chinese mythological creature often representing greed or gluttony. And I think we can all see that in that they just eat everything they find. Um, I have the same problem. What, <laughs> what is so jarring is that instead of the, the Taute that we got in this film, see if you took a stick and locked on a green sock puppet with a few teeth sewed on. I would have believed that to be a bit more threatening because it would have at least looked moderately real because I thought the CGI in this film was so bad. <laughs> it, it just There was one point, and I was wondering about this, there's a bit where Pedro Pascal gets up and just swings at the air, and I'm like, was that meant to be? Did they just forget to CGI <laughs> something in there? Did he just get up and swing it there? And be like, yeah, yeah, the CGI something attacking me there. That'll look really cool. Instead, what we'll he does is post. just get up. We'll get it in post. We'll get it in post. <laughs> Pedro Pascal never misses. So, <laughs> so I I thought like everything else in this film, they rang a bit hollow. I thought um, when the Queen showed up. I was like, oh, this is where I got Jurassic Park from. It's the Jurassic Park dinosaur with the acid spitting. And he's grown up and he's found some friends. But <laughs> yeah, it was, they, they all communicate through sound and then the magnetic rock deafens them. And it, I, 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 that part, I don't know. If that's actually part of Chinese mythology, sure. I feel like there was maybe a better way of showing it. Um, like I'll, that's probably my my point for a lot of stuff in this film, but the Taute as overall, I think there was there was a chance for them to be good here, 
but it just did, like I got Mummy Three vibes at the start of this film, but I ended up enjoying Mummy Three as opposed to the and even this. I thought the CGI in that film is better than the CGI in this. Um, which if if they maybe took the budget away for Matt Damon and put it on to the CGI, it maybe would have been a bit more passable and maybe a bit more believable. But so that that's kind of my damning indictment of the Taute in this. Well, it was it, they were always it was always very um colourful, um like throughout. Yes. I think some of the some of the cinematography looks very pretty. Um but like they like a lot, a lot of like a good sheet uh, around your CGI is to film in obscured lights or fog, and they do that in one of the, in one of the sequences, and it's one of the more tense scenes because there's smoke everywhere, and you can hear that whistling from those uh, whistling arrows. Um, but every other fight that we see them in, it's it's broad daylight, it's well lit, and we can see everything, and when you, and it does take away a little bit of the uh, mystique and the tension from it, I think. But I think that might just have been a stylistic choice because, like, when he's just filming architecture or when they're in that tower that's made of stained glass, it's super colourful, it's super pretty. So I can only think that they thought, well, we can do that with a horde of faceless uh, space dogs. And then somebody went, have you seen Starship Troopers? And he's like, what? And then they just kept filming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, definitely. And I was meant to say as well, actually, they've just survived a battle of World War Z proportions where there is millions of them. They're just they're as far as the eye can see. And mm. then the battle finishes and they go, oh, well, we, we need to go back up onto the wall because, you know, they, they crawl up to kill and eat some of the, the dead there, you know, and drag them back. Oh, okay, so we need to go deal with that. There's one. There's one on the wall and they're like, okay, we'll get enough phalanx and we'll kill this thing, no problem. And then it's sort of implied they know there's one behind them because they get their weapons ready, you know, and they're like, and then all of a sudden throw them, doesn't kill it. It comes up from behind them. Immediately the general dies. It charges. He doesn't move. And it's like, so you survived millions, but these two that come up here, you're, you're, I was just, it was very jarring to me. I was like, "All oh, right, so clearly we just need you're you're the Obi Wan without yeah. any of the wisdom or gravitas here." Yeah. What? This, the, what? These were two very clever girls. Okay, figured out. They figured out like if we just hide in the dark, they're gonna trot out somebody's mentor, and we can just numb down on that like nothing. <laughs> What what I loved about the the something is like you were talking about the, yeah all that stuff but the, when Matt Damon arrives now remember that these people have been fighting these things for I think two thousand years they said they did not say if my maths is wrong feel free but two thousand years they only turned up once every sixty was my understanding of it yeah I mean, you've got all that time to think about things but but the, 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 the but like when Matt Damon arrives and says that he's killed, they're all like, "What? How on earth have you done this, Western man?" You know, it's it's like it's because they're primitive savages. <laughs> don't believe in teamwork. <laughs> they don't have nice uniforms. Wait, do you think this film has some kind of message, Greg? I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some kind of like reverse propaganda. <laughs> 
I just love that though. I just love that. Yeah, that he was like, they were just like, oh my goodness, this guy, this guy's amazing. Um, <laughs> and the discovery's got the magic rock, obviously, that helped him. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. So we're going to take a quick break just to think <laughs> camp a little bit. And so that's it for part one. Join us for part two when we talk more about the Great Wall and play Paul's tagline game. That's right, folks. See you soon. Welcome back to part two when we're discussing the Great Wall. Now, let's hand over to Paul for the Born Identity. <laughs> That's right. Aim you know and love the born I tag in to, to. <laughs> Anyway, we'll start off with our first one. Here's the one. This is the game where I give you taglines and you have to guess which one is the real one. So we'll start off with the Martian. Ooh. Is it A Mark Watney phone home? Is it B? Mars messed with the wrong gardener? Or is it C, bring him home? <laughs> I think are I know. We, are we buzzing in? <laughs> go, go, go for it. I wish well, it was one, B. I one, wish it was B. B. Yeah. I it be B, but I think it's C. Yeah. <laughs> C's all right. That is right. That one was probably the most obvious one. That is C. But we'll move swiftly on to Ocean's Eleven. <clears throat> is it A? Prepare to be swerved. Is it B? They're having so much fun, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> or is it... He's got a problem only 10 other guys can solve. <laughs> See, that was all the delivery there. What was E again? Prepare to be swerved. Oh, like, oh see, if it's, see, if it's either B or C, that is amazing. It was either of those two. I, I think it's B. It's America. It's going to have to be B. <laughs> Yeah, I think it surely is B. Surely they couldn't have put C. The B all around? Very yep. good. That is B. I think it was designing your voice for the game that way. Your guys, <laughs> you guys are getting better at this. Okay, we'll try green zone. Okay, is it A? Chief Warrant Officer Roy Miller is done following orders. Is it B? Sergeant Roy Miller is in the zone and he's green lit to kill. <laughs> or is it C? They have WMDs, but Corporal Roy Miller <laughs> is one. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure C is admitting to war crimes, so. Uh... <laughs> Hey, hey, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see because I just like the idea that somebody calls himself a WMD. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go B because no one said B. Congratulations to those that said A. That was hey. very well done. <laughs> I've got 
Oceans 12 as well. <clears throat> Is it A? <laughs> Swear view once. <laughs> on us. <laughs> Swear view twice. <laughs> Is it B? Ooh la la. This time it's in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> or C. 12 is the new 11. Oh, it's called C. It's called I wished it was one of the other ones as well. Uh, and I do have one last one. Yeah. We've only got one game, so go for it. Suburbicon. <laughs> yeah. Is it A? The suburbs in the 50s. Paradise, right? <laughs> Is it B? Welcome to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Or is it C? This neighborhood has a little case of home invasion. A. B. A. A. B. 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 I think I think A as well. A. Oh, there we go. This one tricks a bit more. This one is B. Ah. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. Have you anyone seen Suburbicon? No. It's actually quite good. It's Matt Damon in the 50s. Uh, and it's basically how this whole perfect suburb goes like tits up and like <laughs> by the end, like, a total riot. So it's like Little Mad Max. Yeah, but kind of, kind of, yeah. But, you know, no, I mean, I've seen Green Zone, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. No. So I was I was banking on that when I gave you all the different ranks for that one. That was clever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome, Paul. Thank you very much. So <laughs> let's get back to the Great Wall now. Part of the Great Wall is all about this nameless order. Who are called the Nameless Order, I might add. But yeah, this is the name the Nameless Order themselves, and they have some interesting technology as well. Now, my favorite my favorite technology was the the bungee cords. Personally, I wrote down bungee cords are what happens when you have sixty years to think up ideas. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, but I just imagine them all sitting around a table like for like a year, just having no, nothing, and then going. Bungee cords. There we go. So, Andrew, what did you think of the Nameless Order, and what was your favourite piece of technology that you saw? So, first of all, the Nameless Order annoyed me because just the name. I've got a fucking oxymoron. You've given yourself a name. Um, the technology. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I actually quite enjoyed this because I thought some of the stuff was quite cool. I thought it was a clever idea. The, the the one that stood out for me that I really enjoyed was the the scissor walls. Yeah, <laughs> it was literally just like blades, like just turning and turning, and I thought that's so clever. And obviously, it's nowhere near as good as Lord of the Rings, but it, that's the scene where the the ladders are going up. I'm going, could have been using some scissor walls there. But <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, I thought the technology was quite cool. I thought the the bungee rope didn't make sense, but I was like, that's a, that's a cool idea. Um, they all die. So, yeah, but it's still a cool idea. It's, it's cinematic, mate. That's all that matters. But, um, I didn't, I didn't understand how the the rings worked. Like, so obviously, no, they had the hoops around their waist. 
I was going like obviously they can turn in it, but uh, that's besides the point. Um, I love the fact that they had for say again, sorry. Suck the soleil, baby. Suck the soleil. Yeah. <laughs> I love the no, fact that they, um, we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that they had like crossbows, and Matt Damon just came in and went, "Nah, I'm like." boot your crossbow out. I just want the normal kind of hang with bow because he is an absolute hero with that thing. Um, you also had the like the fire cannonballs were cool. I, I don't know. I think I think it was maybe I might have been just hallucinating through all this point with the colours and all the different tag teams that were coming in. You the reds, the blues, the greens, the yellows, all sorts. But I thought for the most part there was some clever ideas with some of the weapons that they used. But the biggest one that I enjoyed was the scissor wall. I just thought that was a clever way to use the actual to use the actual wall of China. To be of some kind of purpose. Yeah, Mike, did you have any favourite pieces of technology on the name of Sora? I mean, I think the scissor was the best one. I but the uh, the bungee, what they called the crane divers, were hilarious. I'm just like, this is but it, it it summed up the whole film. It's kind of distillation of the whole film. It's the rule of cool. They went with what looks cool. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's directed like that. It looks like that. It's written like well, it's not written. It's not written is a strong word. Um, but yeah, it looks cool. And then you're like, oh, what's the actual point of this? Oh, right. They're not actually doing very much. They're just dying. I'm like, you, 60, you have 60 years to think of some ideas. Can you not like, just douse the whole way they come in, like gasoline or something or oil and just set fire to it? Would that not have been a better idea? Well, it, it, did set up, it did set up the, uh, the kill shot at the end of the film where it's like, there's no way we could shoot our way in. Bungee cords, I'm like, by God. <laughs> no, that was the only reason it existed. So that one, I was just like, that wasn't worth it. Was not worth it. And obviously, just trying in a, to show the, the varying degrees of uselessness, um, which is a very Yang Zimu thing to do. The director, um, I think, I probably just murdered his name there. Apologies. Um, but he's always, I think, he, hero in House of Flies and Flying Daggers. They're all color, nicely color coded, and oh. everything looks lovely and cool, and uh, doesn't make very much sense in his films that I've seen anyway. But this is very much in keeping with that. I'm yeah. just trying to imagine um, like the pitch meeting for the bungee jumpers, you know, so it's like, so we've got archers, right? We've got lots of lots of archers, which allows you to stand on the wall and kill things at a distance. But what if we tied you to a cord and we threw you off the wall with a spear or a javelin or something like that? Long and pointy, and we throw you so far down that you can stab one, and then we'll pull you back up, and then we'll throw you off again. Whereas we're an archer, you know, you're going to waste time killing all of them like that. But if we push you off the wall, it's all great. It's how to come over the wall one at a time. Eaten that way either, isn't it? It's like, we'll come over one at a time, just give you guys a new break in the. I think the most disastrous bit of technology was the the tangled ships. So see when they did the whole like the the, the lanterns lifting up, I got big screams of tangled. If any of have seen that Disney yeah, movie, yeah. they were using that as essentially a hot air balloon. And then like you see them about five or six all going up, and then they look in the distance and you just see it crumbling. I'm going yes, because that's exactly what's going to happen. You fools! Oh. I, I wrote, actually, the only reason the general character existed was so you could have that scene of the lanterns. Yeah. Like, yeah. he existed He yeah. existed so he could die, so they yeah. could have that lantern exactly. scene. 
Mm. Exactly. And, and it's quite an okay scene, I must say. I do like a lot of Chinese lanterns. You're obviously not a farmer. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think that there must have been like a pre-production, like team building exercise that all the crew went on. And, and one of the things was bungee jumping and they had such a good time with it. Like, we've got to do something with this, guys. And then another person's like, Spears, and like, John, that's the finale in the bag. <laughs> Promotion. So, after, uh, by the way, my, one of my other favorite was, did anyone else notice the, the holographic PowerPoint presentation? Like, what, what, the, hell, what the hell was oh, that? That was a visual aid for the audience. That was like, like <laughs> at no was, point. It was, <laughs> the thing was, yeah, it was, yeah, but it was presented like he was showing him it. Like the way the way that it was shot, it was like he was showing him the thermal presentation. But oh, it was absolutely bonkers. But yeah, the, techno- the technology was obviously ridiculous. Like that stuff did not exist at that time. I mean, we're, we're seeing the ancient China invented bungee jumping and hot air balloons. I might add. But another thing, another thing, the other thing I said was that that you know, like you've had all this time to think of these things, and obviously you've got the capabilities to make these things. But hot air balloons is where you fall down. Like, they're not ready, they're not ready. And then, like, it was just carnage. So we're, we're coming to the ending now. So the ending of, of, of the film, right, apparently the whole thing has been this misdirection, magician style, and the charity have dug underneath underneath the wall. Is that right? Underneath Beautiful. the wall. And then and then all to get to the, the, the capital, which is where, where they're trying to prevent them from coming to. And... By the way, did anyone else like just get really jarred by the the whole emperor subplot out of nowhere? It, I, was it, it, ask, I was going to ask that. See the guy that nicked the magnet, like yeah, the the, the, the t- was he in it like a lot, or was he just in it at that point when they're like, "Oh, give us that. We're taking that to the emperor." Just for that, <laughs> it was so weird. It, it, it just it just suddenly happened, and then suddenly, oh, the Tower is getting taken to the emperor now. Fair enough, right? Okay, but that was not established at all. I I I didn't even know that the rest of the world knew about this. I thought this was like a secret thing that they were keeping from the rest of the world. And so until that point, I mean, obviously, that would have been quite ridiculous to keep that for 2,000 years. But, you know what I mean? I, I just thought that this was like something that the name of order was in charge of. They delegated and then they, they stopped the people from the, the authorities from coming. But then suddenly it's like, oh, everyone knows about it. Oh, and the emperor wants one. And again, Game of Thrones style, like Cersei getting the, 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 white, uh, the white brought to her. But again, very, very, very similar. Very weird. I think I think it's before. Is it before the Game of Thrones finale? This film. Yeah, twenty seventeen. <laughs> there you go. Maybe maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's why why Game of Thrones last season was so bad. It just took too much from this. So <laughs> so we get we get to In the, the best end. movie. <laughs> we get we get to the ending. We get to the capital. We have our big we have our big fight at the end. I quite liked personally. I quite liked the fact that Commander Lynn. As Greg was saying, Commander Lynn is the star of this film. I quite liked that she was the one that finally got the queen in the end. I think that was a nice touch because it was. This was why she, that, that was her purpose. That was her character's purpose. She was raised to be this person to take charge one day, and she's the one who actually finally gets the, the killing blows that were and Matt Damon fails on you know on the lead up. So I thought I, I actually quite liked that personally. I thought that was a good touch for sure. What did I'll just open this to everybody. What 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 did we think about the ending of the film? I personally thought it was a bit flat. I think in a film, The Great Wall, I kind of felt like things were a wee bit. So I feel like surely the final battle should have taken place 
on the Great Wall. You know, you know what I mean. I, I, I kind of I was a bit like, why are we now suddenly in the capital and it's now happening here? You know. So anyway, what do people think about the ending itself? Well, there's no bit of the ending for sure. I couldn't. Um, care less. On you. Sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, I couldn't care less. I'd lost interest by that point, and I was like, but yeah, <laughs> I think I think I was like, all right, cool, fine, that's whatever. We knew that was going to happen, so great. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It should have been the Great Wall, and they, if they spent like longer at the beginning of the film, building tension, setting things up properly, then the whole thing could have worked a hell of a lot better. Um, anyway, no, it didn't really work for me. But I think as far as like I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Craig. See, because it was only like an hour and a half. I was just like, I, it didn't bother me as much. Whereas I think if the, if it was like say the ending happened half an hour later, I'd have logged out. I'd have been like, no, it's 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 too long. It's blah blah blah. My biggest issue, and it happens in lots of films, is the trope of once we kill the queen, the rest all just like they literally literally froze yeah. and then fell off. And I know like one of my favorite films does it. Avengers does it with the Chitari. Uh, happens on Independence Day. It's it's a it's a, a trope that the movies use all the time. And one ring, it's the Death yeah, Star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like to me, I'm going. That's my biggest. Th- it's not like a big issue, like as if it's that ruined the the masterpiece of this movie. But like to me, I was just like, yes, I I think that's a lazy, a lazy trope. The one thing I did like, I, mean, I didn't get to mention on the the tail See the the big like gorilla ones that had the. Jurassic Park like wings that protected the Queen. I thought they were pretty cool. I thought that was quite a cool design and a, like, a way of being able to protect the queen but for the most part yeah it was it was raises the question why didn't she make more of those but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do have millions there there to i like the fact as well that they don't, they don't just keep their shields up the entire time like it's just like right, we'll put them down and we'll give you another go. Oh no, 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 no! And then we'll put them down again. One more, one well, I mean, it, did, it looked like it, it looked like it took a lot of effort. So like, we could only. We're back to Jurassic Park again now, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, back, back again. But I, I personally loved that um, Matt Damon learned to trust. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, he he learned to trust, and yeah. uh, Tian Jing, I believe, is Commander yeah. Lin. Um, I I thought she was actually one of the few redeeming qualities of this film. Um, yeah, quite like yeah. even even our like armor design. Like I did, I do make fun of the armor in that they do like Power Rangers, but it was one of my favorite things in it. And actually, mm. I, I really like the drumming. Just to go off on a little bit of a tangent, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, it. I loved yeah, yeah. the drumming. The the drumming was amazing, but the ending itself, my thought was, okay, you're on this rather small wooden structure, and there's about a million already on the building. Why yeah. hasn't this thing collapsed? Is what I'm thinking. Superior Chinese but, engineering. That's why. Uh, there, there you go. Well, I, I was, I was thinking, okay, and then it gets very Legolas at the end. But um, I was happy, you know, by the end, his his um, complete 180 within 10 minutes of screen time, and he finally learns to trust. Uh, it, for that 10 minutes, I was holding my breath. Yeah, yeah. One of my one of my other favourite moments comes at the end as well so it's a bit so we haven't really talked about we're talking about the keys you know remember the young guy 
He's apparently yeah. a K-pop yeah. singer. The K-pop singer, apparently. All right. So, all right. so, so he, he, yeah. So he was in the film too. He was the young guy, the guy that had to was seen as like a coward or you know not, not worthy of being a warrior, and then eventually gets his redemption at the end. So my my favorite moment, comes, um, my, my favorite moment comes um, when Matt Matt Damon goes after he's been hurt. He goes, "You'll have one hell of a scar, but you'll live." And then literally a minute later, he dies. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Oh, I was absolutely like kicking myself after that. I like so the fact that he said that and he was like, oh, you'll have one hell of a scar, but you'll live. And then she instantly translates it and goes, you'll live. And I was like, <laughs> that's my word. I reckon, I reckon, actually, Matt Damon says, you'll have one hell of a scar. And then she says, I'm going to need you to blow yourself up in a minute. And, <laughs> and, and the look on his face is just, oh, Matt Damon. And Matt Damon's like, I know, I, I'm so good at this. And then they <laughs> bolt down the end of that beautifully shot and lit sewer, by the way. Uh, and, then, uh, and Matt Damon's like, where are you coming, kid? We've got to tell people about your scar. And he's like, ah, shit. And <laughs> He's the commander looking at him and just does his duty. So good. So, good. so I'm going to give you some figures now. I'm going to give you some figures before we finish up our conversation about the film. Hmm. So I want to, I want you guys to guess. I want, I want some guesses here. So it's a mini, it's a mini game. It's a mini game. So the budget of this film was 150 million approximately. Now to put that into perspective, that is more or the same as early Marvel films. So Iron Man 1 was 140 million budget. So we're in that kind of ballpark. Also, it's 2017, so technology has got cheaper over the years, as you know, with CGI stuff. So you're able to do more for less, to put that into context. So what do we think this film took opening weekend in the US, ballpark figure, in the millions? Tell me, what do you think? Have a guess. 30. 25. 15. I'll go 40. Interesting. So opening weekend in the US, 18,469,620. So Greg, you were is there. So not starting off well. Gross US. What do we think? So this is how much the film made completely in the US. So it made 15... It made 15 opening. 18 it made opening. 18 opening, right. Well, it won't, it's not going to get any higher. So I'll say, I don't even think that, 34. <laughs> 33. Oh, price, is right. price is right, man. Okay. What's that? Um, uh, Mike, what did, you, what did you say? I think I said 68. I was being very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what did you say? 50. Okay. 45 million That is diabolically bad for this sort of film. However, however, cumulative worldwide gross. What do you think? A billion. <laughs> it grossed a billion. <laughs> that would put it like, you know, in top five of all time, Paul, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Would China eat that shop? 250. Yeah. Uh I'll say 160. It just made its money's back. No, I'll go I'll go I'll go 180. 200. 200. 
334,930,831. So, you know what that means, lads? Sequel! <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Great yes. Wall. Pedro. The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda defending the Great Wall. That's the sequel. Yeah. Right there. I watch that so much. <laughs> Definitely. So, big budget. I mean, I think it's the, I think it's the biggest budget that China's ever had for a film. I may have changed by now, but in twenty seventeen it certainly was. So, wow. Yeah. Do we? You wouldn't be able to tell from the CGI. I thought I was going to say because Paul, you said it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. No, I know. Yeah, it, it was appalling. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're spoiled by uh, Marvel films, Paul. Maybe and yeah, the Star Wars films. I don't know. But yeah, no. Did we think? Because like the thing is, the scale of the project, it's I mean, it's massive. Like there was a hundred translators on set, a hundred translators on set. Because there, there, there was that there were the, the people. It wasn't it wasn't CGI people for the most part. They used all yeah. those people with a lot of extras. So the mm. big big scale production. They they couldn't uh, they weren't allowed to film on the Great Wall. Apparently, they asked they asked the Chinese government, and they were like, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so. So, uh, I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Because again, but they had to pitch that. They had to pitch this film to the Chinese government to get permission on the wall, and everyone's like, "No, thank you." Giant um, scissors, giant scissors, guys! Your <laughs> <laughs> national monument. And I'm thinking, twenty-five reverse catapults. <laughs> so yeah, so they had to, they had to essentially build and recreate the Great Wall when they were home. So there's a massive, massive scale project. Do we think? I know Paul's answer, but the rest of us, do we think it? Was it worth it? Was the scale of the project worth it? Did it work for what they wanted to try and do? Yes, it made 300 and odd million dollars. Of course, it's fucking worth it. That, that would even cover their uh, marketing costs and distribution costs. Yeah. That film only made a loss. You reckon? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There might be different different rules overseas for that. I can't remember seeing any kind of advertisement for this. I can't remember seeing like any build-up. Oh, yeah. The only thing I can vaguely recall about this film was, I think, some opinion piece that was going, oh, Matt Damon, whitewashed, coming to save the the Chinese. Where in actual fact, it kind of is the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> it was their attempt to do, like, a, a big Western-style blockbuster. And... By all by, by that very de- definition, the film was a success. It made fantastic amounts of money worldwide, even though it was dumb as hell and it had uh, a famous face on it. And like, I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, current Chinese cinema, uh, but if like for them to do that in like 2017, uh, it, 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 I think it was like one of the first steps in that direction uh, for. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like um, what was it like like imagine if imagine if the Chinese cinema one year released um, like uh, their version of that okay we'll call it uh, we'll call it the last Braveheart and essentially it's the last samurai but it's Braveheart starring Chow Yun Fat like this is the kind of like cultural uh, crossroads that they're sort of uh, meeting here and I yeah, kind of, of this sounds great keep going Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's that it's 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 getting to like all, all this all this uh, white savior stuff that we've just been sort of I say we has been broadcast around the world. It's now been it's now been watched by 
millions and billions of people and now they're making their own versions and now they're sending it back and our reactions go what is this mess like well, it's it's our mess they're just they're just they're just showing their version of it oh. I mean, apparently, I mean, this is obviously just what, what was has been online and stuff. But apparently, China itself had no issue. Like the people, like the audiences had no issue with Matt Damon. Yeah. So they actually, they actually wanted to bring him across. They wanted, they wanted to see a, a Hollywood star in their film. So you know, it, it, it was actually over here that that's where the whitewashing accusations came from. I mean, a lot of that was before people saw the film, to be fair. It's from, from what I understand, when people saw the film, they were like, oh, right, it's just rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't worth protesting over. <laughs> <laughs> so we finish our discussion of The Great Wall, as always now on our show, with buy, rent or refund. I think I know what's coming, but... Just to let everyone know, unless you've not seen the show before, buy means that you absolutely love this film. You're going to add it to your collection and you're going to recommend it to everyone in your grand to see it. Rent means that you enjoyed the film, but you're in no hurry to rewatch it. And if you know someone who might enjoy it, then you might recommend it to them. And refund means hell no, never again, not happening. I'm not recommending it to anybody. So I'll go around the panel very quickly. Buy, rent or refund. Let's start with Mike. What do you think? Buy a refund. I'll go right. Because, you know, I, I, I quite enjoyed Past when I was in front of my face and I forgot about it afterwards, which is kind of what you want sometimes. And, you know, it, had, it did the very bare minimum of having uh, having the spectacle. And it, it's a fascinating mess from that point of view. I quite, I quite enjoyed it from that point of view. But um, I wouldn't rush to watch it again, but I'm not, I'm not unhappy that I've watched it. Mm. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Paul? Now, for every film we have reviewed so far, I have been pretty much by, maybe rent, but pretty much by. But I think I'm a sell, sell, sell here. I think for me, this film just lacked a soul and I could feel it. Like, I just felt very soulless. So I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> uh, Greg, what about you? Uh... I mean, I kind of want a fourth category where it's just research because I feel like this should be studied as a pop culture <laughs> propaganda piece. Um, and yeah, I guess, well, I guess, I guess you'd have to rent one of those to study it. So I'll, I'll say rent. <laughs> okay, Andrew. Yeah, I'd rent. I think it's, I think it's a decent. I'd rent it. I think it's a decent kind of film. Um, I, when I give the recommendation to rent it, I would be warning them. It's a complete popcorn film. Turn your brain off. Just enjoy the colours. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was that bad. But I wouldn't. I still wouldn't buy it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually shocked. Uh, I also, everyone who said refund, it's Paul, which is also more shocking. So <laughs> I, I'm going to say rent as well because purely because this film, as you have seen, is ripe for a good prank. What you should do is find your friends. Okay, get them to come around whenever, whenever everything's back to normal. Invite them around to your house and say, we're going to watch this historical uh, period piece about uh, in ancient China and then just sit and watch their reactions as, as the film goes on. So I would say rent just for that reason, for sure. So let us know in the comments. Let us know at 100 Filming News on Facebook and Twitter. Would you buy, rent or refund The Great Wall? That's it for part two. Join us for part three when we talk to Mike all about Trifle and his upcoming projects. See you soon.
pity you eat trifles so much. I think your methadone would rob my guts otherwise. That woman today, did she come alone? Lots of people visit. Don't judge me. Welcome back to part three. We're talking to Mike about his upcoming project. So, Mike, you've suffered through our chat. You had to watch the wall for this. So, hey, here we go. It's over to you. We pass it over to you. So, Mike, you're here to talk about your short film, Trifle, starring Amy Manson. Can you tell everyone what the film is about? Uh, well, it's pretty much the exact opposite of The Great Wall. It's a little character piece. It's about um, uh, a widowed pharmacist who's kind of trapped by grief. Uh, her husband died in a uh, cycling accident. Um, he's got one of those ghost bikes you see often like attached to fences, like all painted white. And she uh, she kind of sees the other woman visiting the bike as well, and she kind of spirals um, from there. She's kind of become really disconnected from everyone, the way that grief has trapped her. And it's about her kind of finding her way back through a kind of unlikely connection with a methadone patient. Mm. So it's, very, it's a plot-light film. It's kind of just all about character. And, um, yeah. And how, how did you come to direct the film? Um, so it was part of the uh, Scottish Film Town Network's uh, Scottish Short um, programme. Uh, I'd applied with another project um, and we hadn't been shortlisted, although we came close. Uh, and there was a couple of projects that were shortlisted, including Trifle, that didn't have any directors attached. So I was, um, luckily I was invited by SFTN to go to a kind of pitching session to listen to the projects um, that didn't have director and to kind of, uh, if you were interested, have a chat with the writers of those projects and just see if you connected. And uh, Rochelle Atala, uh, who wrote it, she was a, a she come from a prose background, the first film she'd written, uh, and we got on really well. And um, she liked what I'd done before, and she asked me to direct it. So, uh, and I was delighted to do so. It was great. Oh, that sounds really cool. I saw that was a really cool idea. I like that. So the film deals with themes such as grief and detachment from the world, as you were saying. So, do you feel that this could resonate even more with people now at this film after the year that we've all had? Unfortunately, it probably will do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, I think grief's pretty universal at the uh, at the best of times. But I think more people have felt it this year than uh, than usual. So, I think a lot of people can kind of relate to the issues in it and and the and the difficulties around it. Um, there's obviously um, kind of more layers to it um, with what's happened in the last few months or year or so. But, um, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and obviously this year has affected the film's release so do you plan on submitting this to film festivals next year? I so we were meant to premiere at the Edinburgh Film Festival in June and um, we were selected for that unfortunately uh, as you know that didn't happen and we were caught in the no man's land before the digital online film festivals happened so um, so I yeah we've applied for film festivals so we are now at their mercy waiting to see when we're when we'll actually premiere now so Obviously, it would have been a great um, thing to be at the Edinburgh Film Festival and launch it there, but it didn't happen. So. 
We'll just have to see what happens. Right? Yeah, well, 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 hopefully it goes well for you this year, for sure, uh, for the upcoming year and the end, definitely. So you also directed a, a short film called Hole, starring James Cosmo, and uh, you say that's going to be adapted into a feature film now. So can you tell us a bit more yeah. about that? Yeah, I'm working, on a, I'm working on a feature script of that at the moment. I've almost done my draft of it. Um, um, I So I think it's got potential, we'll just have to see. Um, it was a film I directed, made in 2013. Um, so, and I was... My wife, so my wife is an intensive care nurse, so it's been a bit of a year, and we've got a wee one. So when I was trying to scratch out time for myself whenever I could this year, I was like, I wanted to get back to writing again. So I just went back to something that I'd already done before, so I felt that was easier to then starting a new idea afresh. Um, so yeah, so I'm making some progress on that, and almost finished my draft, and we'll just have to see what happens. It's obviously uh, far from guaranteed. Got a few producers interested, but that's not a guarantee again either, so but it'll be exciting. Yeah, sounds great, sounds great. So, uh, just uh, to hold, what else is next for you when we can finally get back to some, some form of normality next year? That's a good question. I don't know quite yet. This year has definitely interrupted the flow. So, uh, yeah, uh, I've kind of put myself to the back to the side a little bit, as I say, because of my wife's, kind of support my wife's job and because we've got a, a wee one. So, um, I, so it's a bit of an open book at the moment. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll get back to something resembling normality and a new opportunities will emerge. So desperate, yeah. desperate to make another film again. I love it, it's my favorite thing. So I'm really proud of Trifle. I can't wait to get it out to everyone. So I'm ready to start again. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be promoting the trailer for Trifle on our page over the course of the Thank week you. after this episode. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go back onto our page and check out the trailer for Trifle. It looks awesome. And hopefully we can go and see it one day somewhere at a film festival in Scotland. So hopefully, Fingers crossed you, Mike. All the best for all your upcoming Thank projects. You. Thanks Thank for you coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I wish you the best of luck. So thanks again to Paul, Andrew and Greg, of course, for joining me too. We had a great time talking about the Great Wall there. Absolutely uh, good laugh as always. So we finish, as always, with the life lessons that we can take from the film on offer that week. We have three, once again, for the Great Wall. So number one, if you have a budget of 150 million, maybe use some of that to hire a dialect coach for your lead actor. Number two, if you find yourself fighting telepathic beasts for 2,000 years, maybe don't bring one directly to the place that you're trying to stop them from finding. And number three, and this is the important one, kids, this is the important one, kids, leaving your best friend for dead always results in full forgiveness. See you next time. <laughs>